This is exactly right. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we're just two film dudes with a real film tood. Am I right? <laughs> What's a film tood? You know? I don't know, but I fucking love it. Okay. And I think a film tood is, um, it involves a lot of burping. It involves a lot of contemplation. It involves a lot of ignoring your family. Yeah, um, that's for sure. A lot, a lot of hunkering down and just, just being weird. I agree. And let me. Can I just? Can I just vent for a mo, please? Of course, especially if it's about your week, because I was going to ask you anyway. Speaking of family, you just said family, and it just triggered something within me that I just have to talk to you about. And we frequently come to the pod discussing the ridiculousness of our families. You know it. And I got another wonderful fucking doozy of a story about my mom. Not that she's like a legend or anything, but I'm just saying she like she's reached this point of now her quirks are at like an all time high, like just really present in a way that just was like. Wow. Like, she's really, like, doubled down on her quirks. So Beautiful. And, sh- and she is a legend to me. Let's not get it twisted. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I'm not... I'm not she, she's, you know, my mom. I'm, not, I'm just saying, like, a lot of people out here listening don't know my mom. So I'm just saying that, like, trust me when I, when I tell you that her quirks are insane right now. <laughs> so she ha- is... She just recently had a milestone birthday. Okay. And my mom loves, like, lives her passion. It's like the fire in her belly. She loves to cancel. This is like her favorite thing to do. She, like, loves <laughs> to fuck up some plans. Like, that's like her favorite shit. Oh, I thought, I thought you were talking like cancel culture. Like, she loves to go on Twitter and be like, <laughs> it's time for Harvey Weinstein to go. Yeah, she's can she's she's just out here on Twitter canceling people. Like like yo, my mom Cance- barely knows how to use the internet. <laughs> canceling plans is even better. That speaks right to my heart. Yeah. She as long as she's still getting her news from Pinterest, then she won't be on Twitter. She oh, can only no. do one one website at a time. But so she just loves to cancel plans. And you know, I think that she's been like this but then now it's just like, again, like now it's just become really present. So I'm like, my sister and I are like, all right, we got to do something for our mom for her milestone birthday. Um, we did a real easy proposal. We said, what if we threw you a party at your home? 
nice. invited some of your closest friends which who are all filipina women they're all filipinas so it'll just be like her and like five other women who have louis vuitton handbags and short hair or whatever so she fucking like was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. You know, we didn't want to like draw a lot of attention. Like, you know how it is. She's like, well, I don't want anybody to know how old I am. I'm like, right. okay. <laughs> uh, so, so the sign, the giant yard signs are out. Got it. But how about this? We will, we will get it catered. We will clean. We will hire people to clean. Like, whatever you want. Like, we'll, we'll oh, do it for you. She gave birth to some heroes. Yeah. All she has to do is walk out of her bedroom. It was just so easy. She oh. was down. So then I start getting on the phone and I'm like, what her favorite restaurants? Maybe we can get somebody to cater. Then she calls me and she's just like, hi. So <laughs> I don't think this is such a good idea. And I'm like, damn, really? Like, damn, really? I was already like starting to make the phone calls, blah, blah, blah. blah. So she poo pooed that idea. Then my sister was like okay we know this is our mom let us let us just book a trip like book a trip for the three of us girls trip nice she, we just pick her up and we don't tell her what it is we're just like yes. we're, we're just gonna hijack you and take you on the trip you can't cancel that was okay? gonna be my suggestion is like you're gonna have to just pick her up figuratively and literally literally yes and my sister, think <laughs> oh my god, my sister booked this like resort, or she thought about booking this resort. I don't. I, maybe she actually booked it. I don't know. I, I don't know what stage of planning this this one was at, but it was basically this like spa resort, lovely place in Florida that is owned by Gloria Stefan, the oh. the singer from the eighties. Oh, you don't have to tell me who Gloria Stefan is. I know I don't, but it's like to some of our younger listeners, I was like, maybe you don't know who Gloria Stefan is. We talked about her in the three men and a baby episode. Um, Come on, shake your body, baby. Do that conga. Get on your feet. Yes. I mean, the list is endless. The horrible car wreck, the bus wreck that coming she, out of the dark. Oh, I finally see the lights. Miraculous. Yes. And so, you know, I was like, certainly this is something she'd be interested in yeah that sounds chill as hell right we're spending a lot of money on her which is like a good thing like that's what she like enjoys that and it's not a cheap place it's pretty expensive and we were like okay we'll book like spa things whatever so somehow the plan got back to her oh and i think i know who it is our father duh uh and then she called me and said mm. that she was like she said, you should um, cancel the reservation because I don't like Gloria Stefan. <gasps> and I'm like, excuse me, what? First of all, it's not as if she's going to be there. She's not going to like. <laughs> she's not she, rubbing your feet. She's not going to do the massage, nor will she just be like, you know, we're, we're not going to walk in and see her. And she's like, welcome. Here's your room. This is I built this room for you <laughs> or whatever. On top of that. What has she done in the past, like, 30 years to make you mad to where you would never stay at her hotel? Her, her hotel? It doesn't make any sense. Gloria Stefan and Drew Barrymore have done something. <laughs> what is... <laughs> or is the, is the issue that you reach a certain age and you just pick a vendetta at random? 
I mean, it has to be something. I have no idea. And I'm like, is it like an Islander war? I don't understand what is happening. <laughs> Did she run over your dog? Did she? <laughs> <laughs> so we had to cancel the Gloria Stefan Hotel because my oh. mom doesn't like, unbeknownst to both of us, she doesn't like Gloria Stefan. So then the new plan that w- that they came up with after many, many failed attempts at celebrating her feckin' birthday is that she wanted to go to a casino. <laughs> and and I want and mind you, her, my dad and her literally just got back from a casino. They went to Vegas a few weeks ago <laughs> where my dad had his phone stolen <gasps> off the table at dinner by some rando and they both caught COVID on the oh way home. My gosh. She's like, you know what? The true gamble is doubling down on going back to a casino. <laughs> Holy hell. I love it. So my sister and I basically booked our own room. Because that was the other thing, too, was that my dad was like, I was like, well, listen, we're going regardless if she shows up. If they don't show up, we're, we're going. Absolutely. So, so I booked a, I booked my sister and I our own room. It was great. We sat at the pool the entire time because we were like, we don't have money to gamble. Why would we do that? And we barely saw my mom. Like, <laughs> she was literally like gambling from like 6 a.m to like 4 a.m she slept for two hours she wasn't picking up her damn phone like my sister and i were like well we just went on a vacation by ourselves for our mother's milestone birthday she's technically in the building we have no idea where she is yeah happy birthday put it over the loudspeaker (laughs) happy birthday mrs dechirico would you like to talk to your daughters who brought you here yes and then they stayed an extra night so we left and then they stayed there and I'm like, okay, listen. It's like, maybe she's telling us something. Maybe she's telling my sister and I, I don't want to fuck with y'all anymore. Like, <laughs> I've done it. Like, I've been on this earth for X amount of years and- Oh yeah. I'll try to get away from you two. Stop throwing me birthday parties. <laughs> fully, fully the subtext of that is- I don't have to do this anymore. I can go on vacation <laughs> on my own and you can go on your vacation on your own. Also, I don't even want to talk about my age. So I don't even want to celebrate my birthday. <laughs> so just send me a plant and a gift certificate for a buffet and I'm cool. I love how she finally agreed to go to a place where she wouldn't have to talk to either of us or see us in any way. And so that was my mom's birthday. And I was like, and then I started thinking, damn, is that going to be me? Am I just going to fucking like be like, I do what I want to do. No one can do shit for me. Hate to break it to you. It's already you because for the past couple of years, I'm like, what you doing for your birthday? And you're like, I'm going to the fucking woods with no cell service. (laughs) I'm going on a hike. (laughs) So you already there. Well, listen, to be completely honest with you, the only reason why I go by myself is because all my friends are fucking indoor kids and they don't want to go outside with no cell service. Let's get serious. Everybody I know is like, I'm not going to the woods without oh, but the you, internet. No, no, you are you are already there. You're like, I'm I'm going. I'm not barely won't even drop a pin. I'm yeah. gonna be in this state. And if you don't hear from me in a week, then holler. <laughs> And that is the equivalent of your mom in a casino. She's like, I'm going to be in this casino. Yeah. If you don't see me in a certain number of days, 
then you can call the police. But otherwise, yeah. just assume that I'm okay. Yeah, I mean, I am my mother's daughter at the end of the day. If Hereditary taught me anything, it's that I, I am <laughs> I am related to her and we will share traits. Yeah, so that was my mom's birthday in a nutshell, but... I absolutely what? love it. She's she's always a straight G and she's not playing. <laughs> and I feel like next year it's hereditary themed birthday and it's a surprise party. <laughs> she goes out for an afternoon and comes home and just have people there. She can't escape it. She can't run away. Well, well like, okay, let me ask you this. Are you into surprise parties? Like I Hell no. Oh yeah, I'm not either. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm not either. And I'm like, well, no shit. No wonder she didn't want to go to Gloria Stefan's fucking hotel. She's like, I don't but like surprises. I don't like surprise parties, but I like surprises. I think surprise parties are stressful. Because I'm like, I don't know. There's something weird about like, y'all were talking behind my back. I didn't know. That's weird. I already have trust issues. Yeah. I had a surprise party. Like somebody threw me a surprise party one time. At least I from what I remember. If my friends are listening and you threw me a surprise party, I'm sorry that I forgot. I only know of this one because it was overwhelming. <laughs> it, was at, it was at like a giant, it was like at a giant restaurant. And I just remember the one, like I remember like somebody being like, come to this restaurant. And I'm like, why are we going here? And then I, mm. we, I go into this like back room of this restaurant and there's like a lot of people that I know. And then I just remember thinking, why are these people sitting with those people? That's so weird. They're like yep. two different types of people that I know. They're like, you know, in one friend group and this other complete friend group and they were all sitting together and I remember going like, this is fucked up. Like, why are they doing this? <laughs> so I was in my head about it the entire time, but... I know, it's, it is stress. To me, it's stressful as hell. I had, well, I had... My friends tried to throw me a surprise party for my sweet 16 and I had cramps and I was depressed and so they 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 presented it as a sleepover at this uh, girl Vicky's house, and I'm like, why Vicky's house? I never, I don't hang out with Vicky. And so they presented it as a sleepover, and I was just wrecked. I'm like, I've got cramps. It is the dead of summer. I'm hot. I'm depressed. Not going. I can't. Yeah. My best friend calls me, and she's like, "You should come. It'll be fun." I'm like, "No, nah, I'm not coming." And after like two or three more attempts to be like, just come, it'll be fun. She was like, we're trying to throw you a fucking birthday party, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And then I felt like shit. Felt like shit. I know. I know. It's like good intentions, but like the wrong motherfuckers. Like that's the problem is that like you can't, you're right. I think it does have something to do with sort of like just generally being weary of, um, (laughs) organized gatherings but also like not knowing not having the control that bothers me yeah it's it's yeah. a whole therapeutic issue for sure and um no one has really tried again and i'm fine with it and i don't want you to here's a great surprise for me mail a cake to my house yeah surprise you got a cake and i'm like cool three meals awesome <laughs> three <laughs> that's like lunch and dinner unfortunately depending how big depending how big a if it's cake. like a yeah if it's like a 12 inch 14 inch round cake yeah two yeah how's that in two so yeah <laughs> i'm with you i'm kind of on your your level and your mom's level although yeah. i will say it is incredibly darling that you tried so hard to give her such a nice memorable birthday and it is also completely in line 
with your mom to just squash that shit. Oh my god. Yeah, we my sister and I were both just like throwing up our hands. Like we were just like, <laughs> what are we doing? Like this is the dumbest. Like why do I think that my family is like a lot more whimsical and fun than they are? Like they're just like poo-pooing. My mom like I said she loves to cancel. She's like the type of person that like will buy clothes and then return them the next day. Oh damn. She can't she loves canceling doctor's appointments and rescheduling <laughs> things. Like she's just always and I don't know, like, this is just always the way she's been. So I don't know why we try to, like, forget all of the, the past, you know? Right. But you're, hope, you're hoping for the evolution of age and that things, and that they just, they dig in. Those heels go further into the ground. They don't mm. ever pop up. And, like, they're, now they're doing cartwheels in the sand. I think the more pressing issue, I didn't know your dad was a snitch. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> he is a, a snitch from hell. <laughs> and part of part of i think why he snitched is because my dad is obsessed with putting like my, so my mom's quirk is that she loves to cancel my dad loves to plan like he oh, loves damn. putting things in a paper calendar every year for christmas i get him a at a glance monthly calendar for the next year with like the black <laughs> vinyl cover he loves i mean he was a planner in the air force so this is like inherent to his personality but oh i think he was getting nervous that there wasn't yeah. like a plan on the books that he knew about and so he was like trying to shake us down for information and i'm like listen if we tell you you can't say anything. And then, of course, he said something because he's like, right. he's probably in his calendar being like, oh, so when's your surprise birthday party? I'm like, <laughs> You're like, listen, you can be in on the plan, but the plan does not include revealing the plan. Yes. And I mean, and, you know, I, and I don't know the conversation that they had about Gloria Stefan. I mean, that could have been a whole thing. We were not privy to that, but. You know, so it's just like, it's just the thing where I'm like, oh, I want to do something outside of anything I ever experienced with my family for the past, like, 40 whatever years. And then it just failed. And I'm like, oh, why am I surprised? Why am I surprised? But truly the thought that count, I mean, you drove there, you drove to Florida, you put in the work, you made three plans. Like, yes. you did the work. I had to drive down the Florida Turnpike in summer Ugh. when every fucking person on the planet is at disney world and i'm just like mm -mm. i suffered a lot okay that's that's the true gift is that you showed up yeah i know happy birthday i did it i got here <laughs> and if you want to hold a, a grudge against gloria as stefan which i have got to know what's going on there one day we have got to get to the bottom of that i think that we need to put your grandma and my mom in an interrogation room and just start showing them photos of Drew Barrymore and mm -hmm. Gloria Stefan, respectively, and just be like, why? Why? And maybe yeah. different different iterations of their look, you know, like yes. Drew from E.T., but then Drew from Poison Ivy, yep. Drew from, you know, the fucking Tom Green era or whatever. Like Dr Drew Flash and Letterman, like, yes. Yeah. Who, then, what are you thinking now? When did it turn? Has it always been this way? You know? I am so down for this plan. And I would even throw some ringers in there, throw some other ones in there and be like, Laura Dern, what do you think? <laughs> How far does this go for you? And who's there, on the list? <laughs> is there anyone else you can recall that she hates? 
Like, is Drew the only one? Drew is Drew is it, and it is like wake from a dead sleep ha- hatred. Yeah, she she might like not understand some celebrities, and she'll see certain people and be like, "Eh, they're not my thing." But they she doesn't talk about them. She doesn't remember their name. She doesn't give a shit about anyone but Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore yeah. now also is in a Grove collaborative commercial mm. for house cleaning products, and I swear. I saw my grandmother try to launch herself out of her her automatic lazy boy chair. Like all of a sudden the chair's lifting up and I'm like, what are you trying to do? Like rocket yourself out of the room? <laughs> I I have to say, I did think about her the other day because I, I saw this clip of uh, Drew Barrymore interviewing Jennifer Grey, star mm. of Dirty Dancing. And it was so cute. Like the two of them kind of gabbing like girlfriends about like, you know, being famous in the 80s oh. and stuff. And I was like... She's absolutely charming to me, and I do not understand what's going on with Daniel's grandmother, but she has her reasons, and I don't know, you know. Listen, Drew Barrymore is a delight. My grandma's a demon. We just can't get to the bottom of it. She's just a demon. She's, like, removing the knives from her pinhead doll and going, like, this one's coming. If I got her... Oh, if I got her a voodoo doll, we know exactly what face she would be pinned on it. For no reason. And she, she is so mean. Like, she hates the child version. She's like, I've never liked her. And I'm like, even when she was a kid? No. Yo. What about Firestarter? Fuck Firestarter. Like, she is an old school hater of a yeah. child. That's how mean my grandma can get. Yo, I kind of, I kind of respect the game a little bit. To be like <laughs> that, like, to, to like boo a kid, that's pretty gangster. Not gonna lie. I kind of love it. Speaking of kids. Oh my God. (laughs) What a segue. God, what a segue. Boy, have we got it this week. And I just love this theme. Mm. I love these movies. I could Mm. go for this episode could be five hours long if we let it. Yeah. I'm going to try to rein it in. Easily. I have to say, I have not had this much fun watching two movies in Same. a long time. I mean, it, it it is like all killer, no filler. You Absolutely. Know what I mean? Absolutely. I think since like Dante's Peak, Joe versus the Volcano. Oh, yeah. That was we the last double feature that made me like double over howling and laughter. Yeah. Well, what is our theme this week? Our theme this week is it's okay to do both. But we didn't read the book. (laughs) And these are movies based on books that neither Millie or I have read. Well, I gotta, I gotta stop you right there. This is true. I have read the book of which your film is based off of. I actually (gasps) read it and the one of the sequels (gasps) when I was in middle school. But you didn't read your book for your film. Oh, hell no. I only saw my movie for the first time in the past year. Not surprising because your movie came out when? 1994. (laughs) (laughs) Anything after 1990 is a gamble. (laughs) No, but I, I will explain perhaps why I hadn't watched my film until recently. But let me just tell you right now, your film 
is a staple of my life. Like truly is like one of the most fun, incredible movie going experiences I've ever had in my life. I've seen it. I don't know. 10 times. At least countless times. Yeah. And it's one of those films that like, I'm all, I'm always going to watch it. If it's even mentioned in my in my in the vicinity like if someone yeah. mentions my my movie i'm like oh i'm gonna go home and watch it right away because it's a jam yeah but you never read those books right absolutely not i think i try i got one of them from from the library from yeah. this from my author but i don't think i even cracked it because it was so much more fun to talk about it on the bus with people it was just more fun yeah. to like hear people talking about these yeah. weird books yeah, I'm normally very much a, like a too long didn't read type when it comes to books that, you know, that I have seen the movie adaptation for or whatever. Um, but this book, I think your film was was like that was a huge book for me in middle school. And like I was like, well, I certainly have to get into this book. And it scandalized the fuck out of me. Like, I mean, everybody is going to comment and say the same thing because it is a true classic. It's like a classic shock piece of literature from like middle school or high school where everybody had the same reaction of like, what the fuck is going on in this book? And then all the subsequent like sequels are even more fucked up. (laughs) The world is so fucked up. Like this entire universe of like what your film lives in is so crazy. Um, I truly can't wait. Well, I'm going to get into it because we need to talk about the VC Andrews cinematic universe. Yes. I'm just going to let you know that my film for our theme of it's okay to do both, but we didn't read the book was released in 1987. It was directed by Jeffrey Bloom. The screenplay is by Jeffrey Bloom. It's based on the novel Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Andrews. And my movie is Flowers in the Attic. They have come to seek refuge. Secrets are kept. For the future is haunted by the past. No one can see this face, but I'm making that like Matthew McConaughey from Days of Confused face. Like, yeah, all right, all right. I cannot wait. It's also got a, like a, a little bit of uh, Matthew McConaughey and Wolf of Wall Street. Like you're about to start banging on your chest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I love this shit. Oh, my God. This movie. Okay. So at, now, did you read the book first and then watch the movie? Or did you come to this world through the movie because this movie came out when we were like children (laughs) yeah no i was gonna say i think i saw the movie before i read the book yep makes sense makes sense Mm -hmm. i am going to start us off because vc andrews is an unexpected queen of pop of 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 youth pop culture Mm -hmm. in terms of scandalization and i don't know anything about her I didn't know anything yeah. about her. Um, I will say that I'm well aware of her work. The The covers of her novels are works of art amongst themselves. <laughs> uh, and almost all of her books are about families in very complicated and strange situations. But yes. her life seemed pretty dope. Like she was born in Virginia and she was the, the only daughter and youngest child of, of her parents. And, you know, she had a couple of 
older brothers and, you know, she attended good schools. Um, she did fall in a stairway at school. And P.S. This is all coming from Wikipedia. And she had severe back injuries that like gave her arthritis and were like really kind of life ruining for a while. And, and sh- that she had to use crutches and wheelchairs for most of her life as a result. Wow. Um, and yeah, she just, she started writing, you know, kind of being, you know, have, having always been a little bit more bedridden, she started drawing and doing like correspondence courses and, and she was into art and then she started writing and, she the the rumor is that she finished the novel Flowers in the Attic in two weeks. She wrote it in 1975. Damn. Um, it was published in 1979. And someone along the way, I don't know if it was a rejection letter or her actual editor, someone suggested she spice up the story. And let me tell you, that motherfucker took that cue and ran with it for the yeah, rest yeah. of her life with everything she ever wrote. But she does. She writes about tons of families. She likes to do like these collections about families. Like this book's about the Castile family. And this book's about the Cutler family. Uh, and this book's about the the doll and ganger family. So she's definitely likes to keep it tight uh, on her family biz. Mm. Um, but this particular film was just life enhancing from Jump. I mean, yes. this movie has everything. The cast is incredible. Before she went ahead and popped off, it starred Christy Swanson. Um, we've got Victoria Tennant. Uh, we've got Louise Fletcher. Yes. I mean, it is just such a good cast. Yeah. And the story, I think, sticks pretty closely to the book based on converse- conversations I heard on the back of the bus. But this was one of those books where, like, people were passing around the tattered copy. One person's parent bought it for them and didn't know what the fuck they were buying. They were just, like, excited their kid was reading. And then that book made the rounds for 75 years. Yeah. And this is something I have said said to my ex-husband a lot. Or, you know, maybe once. A lot. Once. Who knows? But (laughs) we used to laugh about the phenomenon of, like, middle middle school boys finding porn in the woods V.C. Andrews is porn in the woods for teenage girls. A hundred percent. It was, I can't tell you, there there was so much that I learned about sex and other things through Flowers in the Attic and Petals on the Wind, which is the book that comes after. I mean, <laughs> not to get filthy, but I the, the term come had not, ever been uttered around me in my life and then i read it in petals in the wind and was like oh now i know what that is um learn it somewhere and yeah and like you said before i mean it's weird because i you it's almost like you could tell that this movie i mean the movie stays true to the book in that regard like the setup is pretty much the same but it the movie doesn't go nearly as deep as it goes in the books which if it did, it would have to be like an NC-17 movie or something. You know what I mean? So Ooh. it's like, if you're going to make a PG-13 film or whatever, you would have to take out all that stuff. So, Oh, and the movie goes hard. So it's surprising to me that the book goes even harder. But again, oh, no. I know it does because of the way people talked about it and were scandalized by it. Yeah. Um, I still haven't read it and I, and I won't. <laughs> this sh- Too late now. Sailed. That ship has <laughs> sailed, sailed, sailed. Yeah. I've never seen Repo Man, and I will never read V.C. Andrews. Um, yeah. But it is, it is just a, 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 an absolute crown jewel in 
the in terms of the pop cultural influence it has had on my life. And the movie is enough. I think if you want to yes. go deeper, great. Go ahead and get those books. For me, the movie was enough because the movie yeah. was off the wall. Yeah. And, and this is what I will say to your exact point. So uh, in this rare occasion, I actually did read your the book that your film is based off of. However, I'm not a person that like hates this movie because it wasn't as dirty as the book. Yeah. I actually think that the movie is like great in and of itself. Like the idea that it is like a kind of sanitized version of the book, mm-hmm. it, it makes it its own thing. And it's kind of amazing. It kind of reminds me of like when we talked about the stepfather, it kind of reminds me of like a murderous lifetime film in this yes. It kind of has that feel and the in the pacing and and you know it's very like lifetime 80s film um and i'm glad that it didn't go in that direction in a way because if it had then again it would be like a a totally different experience you know and you are absolutely spot on to mention lifetime because they have adapted 15 of dc andrews books into lifetime movies dude i that is new information for me like when we and i was like oh yo i gotta go back like my uh my friend matthew ownby who i work with at tcm and uh he was like you gotta get on this lifetime movie club app it's like their app for you know all of the lifetime movies that have come out in the past like whatever 20 30 years and when i saw that they have like 47 sequels and prequels to like flowers in the attic i was like Excuse me, Wade. Like I have, I had no idea that this was happening. Oh None. yeah, that could be the rest of your year. <laughs> we could just end the pod and be like, we are on vacation. Millie's watching all ninety-five versions of whatever VC Andrews adaptation is on the Lifetime app. But then, you know what? Though there was a part of me that's like, I don't know. Like, th- like I saw something for like a prequel, like kind of like, and I'm like, do I really want to see like whatever the Jar Jar Binks version of this, you know, is on the, the VC Andrews universe where we're like a- Anakin Skywalkering the grandmother or whatever. I don't under like I don't know if I want to go that far into the mythology where I'm like, <laughs> you know, like imagining grown-ups as kids or whatever so i don't know yeah. i don't know if i'm gonna go down the road but i was just no. surprised that there was a road oh know? there is a road it is paved it has ramps <laughs> it's its own little richard scary bustling city <laughs> but i'm I'm a one and done i'm a flowers in the attic and i'm out and i love yep. it and this this movie i tried my best to do one sentence synopsis hmm. there's so much going on but this movie, I think my one sentence—I think it's about this. My one sentence synopsis is: After their dad suddenly dies, four extremely Aryan children are forced to live with a grandmother they've never met. And how Aryan they are could not get whiter. These children are white. <laughs> And let me tell you, and they all have, they, they're one of those families. If they, if this book came out today, this would be the family that takes the picture on the beach in the khakis and the white shirts. Oh, yeah. So the mom is Corinne and her children are Kathy, Christopher, Corey, and Carrie. And Corey mm-hmm. and Carrie are twins, a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. Kathy is kind of our narrator and Christopher is... He's he's a he's a teenage boy who wants to become a doctor, 
but very quickly morphs into the Pepperidge Farm dude. <laughs> like almost immediately, he's like suspenders check, collarless shirt check, and there's a reason. <laughs> I was so confused always by the clothes in this film because they. I was like, okay, is this in modern times? It seems to be in modern times, meaning it seems to be eighty-seven mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. Yet they're all wearing like weird, like merchant ivory esque clothes with like. The, the Kathy's dresses headlines are like, like mid thigh. Yeah, and I'm like, and what a, in the fuck is going on here? And a lot of billowing, just a lot yeah. of billowing. And you're like, Str- mm. straw hats, suspenders, seersucker. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? The hell is happening here? And let me let me let me just get into this family a little bit. So this family to me has boundary issues from jump. Uh-huh. So we open this film. Dad is out here bedside giving Kathy, his teenage daughter, a ballerina music box and a diamond ring like they're about to get engaged. (laughs) He is like, let me sit on your bed and give you this ring and this ballerina music box because you're my favorite. I'm already creeped out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the fact that Corey has the kind of tight doll perm curls and he looks like a haunted doll come to life so yeah they're creeping me out but don't worry dad dies almost instantly dad's only in one frame then he dies on his birthday and all hell breaks loose he dies on his birthday very you can count on me style yeah whoever knew we draw that correlation but the cops (laughs) show up and they're like yo he's dead and mom is like so corinne is instantly destitute like there was no plan no will no Mm -hmm. money in the floorboards instantly destitute yeah and they and here's her grand plan they hop on a bus to go to her parents house and she tells them when all the kids are like we're going where to meet who they've never met their grandparents before and she tells them the reason is that she very casually is like oh it's because i was disinherited it's no big deal i was just disinherited and they're like, why? She's like, I eh, don't worry about it. Just pay attention to my ultimate plan of trying to get back in my dying father's good graces. That is her plan. Like, I'm going to win over this old man who's on death's door and clearly has nothing better to do. He's yeah. not flipping through the memory book of his own life or spending any time trying to fucking have his own come to Jesus moments before he fucking croaks. That's her whole plan is I'm going to make him love me again. And that's it. I mean, yeah, I, this, again, has has always been a big question mark that I just completely ignored. She couldn't have gotten a job. Like, she couldn't have done the whole, like, oh. Christina Applegate from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead thing where she pretends to be in a fashion guru. Like, I'm like, why, why do you have to literally do this giant scheme mm-hmm. with these, like, people in your family that have disinherited you there's obviously something to that it just would be easier if you just like pretended to be a successful businesswoman <laughs> absolutely just lot be like yes i made up business cards and i've fibbed a resume or better yet try to go down to whataburger yeah <laughs> go down to a fucking hot dog on a stick they got bennies Try something. And she's like, no. Instead, elaborate plan to bring all four of my children 
on this fucking baton death march <laughs> to my fucking parents' house who have disinherited me. And that part is hilarious because they get off the bus and carry the little girls like, I don't want to walk in the dark. Like, I don't want to walk in the nighttime. And I'm like, oh, not only are you walking in the nighttime, you are walking all night because they show up to the house at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and they get to walk through like four miles of like, you know, British gardens to get to the fucking house. I'm like, yo... They hate her ass. They hate her ass. Hate her ass. It is a huge mansion. It's one of those mansions that has like the rolling hills in front of it. Yes. <laughs> where it's like, don't even think about coming in here unless you want to walk uphill or get in a buggy. And, and we will see every step of the way because there's just this expanse of hills in front of our house. And as soon as they start walking into the house, there's this groundskeeper that's kind of watching them from, from the window of this like stone turret and his face is just like, not this shit again. Like, he's been there <laughs> since Corinne was a kid. And he's like, oh, gosh, she's fucking back. Like, his face <laughs> says it all. And then we meet Grandma. Mm. And let me tell you about Grandma. Grandma is played by Louise Fletcher. Absolute queen of, queen. of mystery and misery. Yes. One Flew Over, flew over the Cuckoo's Nest was probably the crowning achievement. But she is a fantastic actress. And she fucking hates these kids on sight. On site, let me tell you, if grandma shows up with a throat brooch and a Revlon red claw clutching a Bible and she's Louise Fletcher, you are in danger. <laughs> yes. Imagine like if Piper Laurie from Carrie was like just stern, like a stern Victorian school teacher type. Oh, just blazing eyes and like a tight bun. Mm. And she's been running the ship of this house tightly. And does not appreciate that her daughter has come crawling back. She fucking hates these kids. And you can also tell she fucking hates these kids because she lives in a mansion. Like from the windows on the outside when you're approaching, you're like, oh, there's easily 95 rooms in this house. She loads everyone into one room with two beds and boarded up windows and just lays down the law. And the law is basically sit down, shut up, stay here. You're not allowed in the mansion. Yeah. I mean, I had to think that the only time they ever used this room was when like people were dying of Spanish influenza and they had to be like quarantined. Like there's no use for a room ah. like this. <laughs> it's like, just put them kids in the typhoid room. Like we, we don't want to <laughs> fuck with them. We don't use this room ever unless you're sick and you have a transmittable, you know, disease. Like just put, put them in there. Put them in that makeshift hospital room. We don't care. We don't use it anymore. <laughs> Oh my god, this room is bleak as fuck. And then she also does this thing where she's just like, I fucking hate you. Don't look at me. Don't even speak to me. Oh, P.S. Did your mother actually tell you why she was disinherited? I will. It's because she eloped with her own uncle and you are the product of incest. Mm, mm. Now, that part I knew from the bus, but was riveted. Riveted when I heard that shit as a kid. Like, wait, oh, yeah. what? She married her uncle. Their dad was her uncle. Yep. And I could I cannot do the family tree to figure out what that makes them besides his children, his children and his his second cousins. Mm, yeah. I, I don't think. know. Ooh. But that shit landed like a ton of bricks. And then mom fucked off. And you're like, wait, mom's not staying in the room with them? No. Mom has to go down the hall so she can strip down in front of her dying bedridden father and let her mother whip her. 
But don't worry, she does come back so her kids can clean her wounds at grandma's behest. Like her back looks like it was torn open by a wolverine. And she's like, I don't know. I, I think it's going to work. I think my plan's working. I mean, that is some cold shit. Or I'm like, they won't even let you stay in the house for 10 minutes. You need a whipping like the minute you walk in. Just Absolutely. to even be in the house. Absolutely. Just to even step foot across this threshold, we got to let you know who's boss. Yeah. Wild. And mom, mom's like, oh, yeah, my back. Don't worry. I think my plan's working. And then she tells them about the secret staircase to the attic. And she basically wants them to, like, consider it their sanctuary. So this is one of my favorite scenes. Because as they're on their way up, they, like, just crack the doorknob to the attic. Grandma comes out of nowhere. And she's like, <laughs> She's like, you were given permission to go to the attic by me. Don't you forget it. <laughs> and this attic is filled to the brim with pigeon shit and colonialism. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's like the kind of statues you would bring back on a ship when you used to call uh, parts of India Bombay. <laughs> we are calling this episode pigeon shit and colonialism sorry about it absolutely they're like oh we got this in constantinople what like places that don't even exist anymore yeah it's like all their racist trophies are absolutely Ab- could, could fill a museum and that's why christopher starts dressing like the pepperidge farm dude because they're just basically pulling clothes from the boxes in this pigeon shit and colonialism attic and they start cleaning it up. And in my head, I mean, again, the soundtrack to this film is very, like, you know, the composer keeps it very classic. But mm-hmm. in my head, they start cleaning this attic and I'm hearing MC Hammers turn this mother out because they're building, like, <laughs> fucking rope swings and turning cages into chairs and shit. Yeah, they, he, Christopher builds Kathy like a ballet studio. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like with a quickness. And you're like, Christopher, who has apparently like never done anything in his in his life, knows how to build a bar. He said <sighs> they set this shit up. Even like the little haunted doll is helping out. <laughs> this little chucky ass kid. And it's a good thing they have the attic because mom just straight up stops visiting one day. Mm. Like all they get at a certain point is from this point out is like, here's a cart full of cookies. We're going to wheel into this room once a day with some milk and orange juice and goodbye. <laughs> yeah. That, that to me, I think when I first saw it, I was like, wow. Like that really like hit me where I yeah. was like, this woman ain't coming back. And these kids are like, yo, we don't know if she's dead. We don't know if she got whipped to death, if she got yeah. you know, served in like taxidermy to be put over the fucking grand formal dining room. Like, we don't know. <laughs> They've got her like feathered winged hair and she's like mounted, <laughs> her head's mounted on a fucking <laughs> Mom's just chilling. And they like strip her back skin off and just put it on another plaque next to her. Our human trophies are in this house that we've kept. We've we've abused people for so long in this house. We'll never leave it. It is absolutely the kind of house where you're like, oh, they absolutely hunt human beings in this in this in the winter. Like they're just they blow that weird horn and they're like, do do do, and then human beings just scatter. 
Yes, there's like a fucking Charles Lawton type that comes out with this like really thin mustache. He's like, let the games begin. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of a sad part of the movie because the kids are legit worried. They're like, mom could be dead. We don't know what's going on with her. But only only Corey and Carrie are asking the real questions. They're like, when are we getting out of here? Why can't we play outside? Why does Corey still look like a haunted ventriloquist doll? Like they are just (laughs) asking the tough questions. Yeah. And P.S. The boundary issues are completely continuing with Kathy and Christopher because she insists on taking long baths. And he just sits and hovers over her and talks while she's taking a bath. Oh, she fucking pulls out a washcloth and is like, get my back. And I'm like, mm, no, never, never going to happen. Like, absolutely. And, and and I feel like that in a weird way. And I know this isn't about the book because this episode is about it's OK to not have read it. Right. Um, I feel like that might have been like the only concession was being like, well, let's communicate that this is a real fucking problematic incestuous relationship between a brother and sister by having her like soap her back. Oh, absolutely. And they sleep in the same bed. Yeah. They're Uh supposed to sleep like the the room has been gender neutralized. (laughs) Like they're supposed (laughs) to sleep boys in one bed, girls in another bed. And they sleep in the same bed. And one day grandma comes in with the cookie cart and she's like, Oh, y'all in the same bed, you incest motherfuckers. And she breaks the ballerina and Kathy overreacts hilariously. But that's yeah. all they need to start planning their escape. They're like, all right, we got to clearly have to get out of here. She's going to murder us. She probably already murdered our mom. First plan, awful. They go up to the roof and they start rappelling down the roof. But here come these dogs from 100 yards away and like rain and lightning starts and the caretaker comes out with a gun. Like he knows what side his bread is buttered on. And if he finds this kids, like these kids are out here doing whitewater summer instead of just like trying to follow the rules. (laughs) Much like their mom who like did not go to hot dog on a stick. They didn't even try to follow the rules a little bit Uh -uh. to get by. They're like, we hate it here. Goodbye. So... That plan fails. They go back inside. Windows are boarded up double time. And mom comes back finally. But guess what? She's pissed that they tried to escape. Mom is basically back on her family bullshit. Yeah. She's like, wait a month. My dad is absolutely dying. And I think he loves me again. She's like the Amy Poehler character in Being Girls, where she's like, if you have to escape from the house... (laughs) Just wait a month. I'd rather you just wait. I think he's totally going to die this time. Well, and Kathy is like, she is like, okay, bitch, you have seen us zero times in the Mm -hmm. past X amount of months. And then now you come back in here yelling at us for trying to basically find your ass. And the mother is like, how dare you? Why are you being so mean to me? Like, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I'm on Kathy's side on this one. Where have you been? Totally. Also, like, Corey's out here turning mice into pets and just, like, inhaling the hantavirus. Come check on your damn kids. <laughs> exactly. Fuck. It's awful. There's, there is a scene that's hilarious where he goes missing, and I'm like, they panic, and I'm like, how far could he fucking go? You live in two rooms. Yeah. He's either on the swing that you made from the rafters, or he's in a rat bed. In a basket that you made. <laughs> he's either curled up in a fireplace <laughs> or he's in the basket of a fucking hot air balloon that you flew from, I don't know, 
Bombay. It's all I can think of because all those statues are very like that. Very much so. <laughs> oh my God. Well, we, we do get another grandma freak out. She comes in and cuts off Kathy's hair and this wig is fire. The wig that replaces Oof. the cut hair is absolutely huh. fire. <laughs> and she also was like, oh, no more cookies. I'm just going to stop feeding you altogether. Yeah, it's it's re- reached like a code red man down affair right now oh, with these th- kids. These kids look like ghouls. They are withdrawn. They are absolute ghouls. And where's mom in all this? Don't worry. Mom is dating. Meanwhile, her kids are upstairs bloodletting. Christopher cuts his arm and lets Corey drink from it. And Corey's like, yeah, it's fine. I'll be a vampire. I don't give a shit. Like, wh- how, how much worse could it get? I will drink your blood to survive. Why not? I already look like one. Why not go yeah. full stop? Why not just, just complete the look? And they break out. The kids do. They break out and they discover that mom's living like Liberace. She's fucking engaged. <laughs> She's sleeping in a bed with wings. She's playing and the they, piano for grandpa, so she is literally Liberace. She is Liberace it up. She is living her best life, and Kathy goes apeshit. They're walking around this house. They meet grandpa, who they're never supposed to know. They're never supposed to meet him. And he wraps his Dracula claws around Kathy's head so tight, you think he's about to chew her fucking face off. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, he is dying. So he's like totally delirious. Yeah. And I am going to spoil some of the movie from here on out because Please. I just have to. You have uh, to. <laughs> Corey dies. Corey just flat out dies. He's like, the blood was not enough. The hantavirus was not enough. He dies. And then his mouse dies. And Christopher figures out from the mouse eating the cookie that they're being poisoned by arsenic because he assesses the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Pepperidge Farm remembers that you fucking put arsenic in this bitch. And then also, they're like, the family kept the arsenic in this like yeah. beautiful silver salt shaker. <laughs> I'm like, God damn, these people are fucking evil. They kept this fucking arsenic. Absolutely in like a terrine, like this beautiful <laughs> silver terrine or like it was absurd. Like it, the, it was like the kind of thing you'd keep human ashes in. Like it was just so ornate. And it's like. If you have arsenic and you're planning on using it, you should absolutely be more subtle. <laughs> it should be in a cardboard box on the floor in the back of a cabinet. It should be like the shit from 9 to 5 that just is like rat poison. Yes. Just big giant cartoon box. But instead, I'm like, let's make it beautiful and decorative. Let's give it feet. Like you could set this thing on a fucking <laughs> table. Let's make sure it has some balance to it and some heft. It is absurd. And we find out, and again, if you don't want spoilers, fast forward a little bit. Corey's dead. Again, like, they don't get to go to a funeral or anything. They're just stuck in this room. They break out. They figure out they're being poisoned. And we find out that they're actually not being poisoned by grandma, which is the first thought. They're being poisoned by their mom. And they bust out, and they crash their mom's wedding because... And they find Grandpa's will, and they figure out that they were never supposed to be known because if Grandpa knew anything about them, their mom was going to be disinherited. So she had this plan the whole goddamn time. I'm going to get in his good graces and kill you so I get some money and a new husband and a new life. Goodbye. And that's not how it works because they crash the fucking wedding. Oof. And then Kathy 
kind of accidentally on purpose, hangs her mom with her own wedding veil. It's dope as hell. <laughs> it's an incredible scene. <laughs> so I would just admit to you right now, I know Christy Swanson from like two, maybe three things. Mm-hmm. I know her from Deadly Friend, which is like a horror movie where she's incredible. I know her from the one part she was in in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm-hmm. And then I know her in this movie. So I don't even know her as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. To right. me, this is her quintessential moment. Like in a, in a quintessential movie, a quintessential moment when she confronts the mom with the cookie in her hand. Mm. She's like, eat like, it. Eat the cookie, mother. I'm like, yes. It truly is. And look, as, as of the time of this recording, she has popped off on a different dimension. Yes. But this, she gave us this before she left. She gave us this. <laughs> and eat the cookie. I'm going to push you off this boundary and you're hang, You're going to hang yourself to death on a fucking pergola? When was the last time a pergola was used in a death scene? This film is everything. ha! <laughs> And then they just mosey away. They don't even try to like get money or do, they're like, we are just done with this life and this family and goodbye. It's yeah. incredible. And then I guess it car- the story carries on and pedals in the wind, but I'll never know. <laughs> I just know that the, I feel like the book was way more incestuous and I feel like uh, maybe the murders in the book or the, the, the abuse in the book was probably more intense again, based on what I heard on the bus. Mm-hmm. But this movie is unintentionally hilarious it is an absolute canon. It's a canonical film. Absolutely. And it just, it gives us so much while it asks so little. <laughs> it is way more entertaining than I think they thought it was going to yes. be when they put the movie out. I think they genuinely thought they were making a Merchant Ivory film. <laughs> like this is going to be some shit. Well, and like I had read a bunch about just how the director slash writer, like there was all this drama with like rewriting. And I feel like he maybe walked off the film at one point. Mm. And I feel like it's that thing where they were like, well, we tried to adapt this like fucked up book. And now we have to make this like teeny bopper version of it. And it just sucks. And let's just throw up our hands and call it a fucking day. And it'll never, you know, never see a shelf at a video store it's just going to be buried and this is my embarrassment no it did the absolute opposite i feel like everybody was like this is the greatest of all time like it is a staple of rocketed yes and like to this day to this day like anytime i watch it i just fucking scream laughing i i feel I, i still feel the panic and the panic moments where i'm like oh damn yeah they they are in that attic and they ain't getting out, you know? <laughs> it's it's disturbing. It's so disturbing. Oh, yeah. And DC Andrews does not look like the kind of motherfucker who would write some kids trapped in the attic <laughs> book. Yeah. But she absolutely is. And I love it. And and Corinne, the mom, I can't get enough of. And again, we should have, we could have seen the turn coming, but you never expect it. I still never expect her to be villainous. Yeah. But she comes from put these kids in the attic stock. So what do we expect from her? Oh, yeah, she's got that Hidden Valley Ranch voice. Yeah. Where she's just like, and the, and the, her turn, her evil turn is so good. It's so, so good. good. Oh, um, I love it. I love it. I, I can't have loved this pick more. 
Uh, I also love that you refuse to read the book. Like, I'm like, good. Like, just don't read it. Just keep this in your memory as the source material. And that's it. You don't need to read the books. The ship has sailed. There are very many books that I read that are turned into movies. I will read a book after it's been a movie. There are lots of things I'll make the concession for. Not this one. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, you're talking to somebody who missed the boat on Titanic. (laughs) 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 Pun intended. And was just like, it doesn't feel a desire to like, really like catch up. You know what I mean? I'm just like, okay, I didn't see that. That's fine. I just, I'll just live without knowing. And I feel like that could be you too for this. No, it's fine. I'm solid. And I'm solid for not reading yours either. Yeah, I am solid not reading mine either. Um, Although, wow. I mean, it's just so fascinating to have only watched this movie in the past year. I'll just say that. So my movie for the theme, It's Okay to Do Both, we didn't read the book, is a movie from... 1994, the great year, 1994. The screenplay and the original source material was written by Anne Rice. It was directed by Neil Jordan, and it's called Interview with the Vampire. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? His name is Lestat. What if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain and give you another life. One you could never imagine. I am not even going to attempt <laughs> a history of Anne Rice. I just can't. Like, Thank you. No, I can't because y'all, I, I will admit y'all know more about her than me. And mm. anything that I could research would pale in comparison to y'all's lived experience of loving Anne Rice. So my... My thoughts are that you'll go find out about her if you don't know who Anne Rice is, but she has got some stands like you wouldn't believe. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, to the point, she's one of those that I'm like, I can't even pretend to get involved because of her fans. Like, I won't get involved. Yeah, I, I cannot even attempt um, at, at, at trying to try to explain Anne Rice to people who have loved her for so long. So um, having said that, like, I want to also, you know, I'm going to reiterate this. I have a lack of knowledge about the book. Like, I never read the book, and I know that there are, you know, subsequent books. So I don't know anything about those. (laughs) All I know (laughs) is the movie that I saw a year ago. Now, Uh, (laughs) can I ask, do you remember people in school reading this book? Was that a thing when you were? A hundred percent. Because here's the thing. This was, this came out my freshman or sophomore year of high school. And it was the biggest deal. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of discussion about Tom Cruise playing Lestat, which I will get into later. And, And every goth in my high school was there like opening night. Absolutely. But I had like no stakes. Like, I mean, I, I just didn't know enough about it. And I, and for some reason I was like, yeah, I don't know this. I I wasn't really into vampires at the time. (laughs) I just Mm -hmm. wasn't, it didn't appeal to me. No, Um, the the, the people in my school who were reading this book and obsessed with, obsessed with this series were the kind of people who like hung out in cemeteries and listened to typo negative and like 
<laughs> pierce their own necks with pencil with sharpened pencils to pretend they were bitten like they were deep they were not yeah. just like i'm wearing black because i'm sad they were into this shit and it scared the fuck out of me i don't fuck with blood i just don't fuck with blood <laughs> well and like listen you know as per my high school experience i i was at the lunch table with the goths i had goth friends don't oh, get yeah, totally. don't get me wrong but it just was something that i did not share with them like i was just Absolutely. like I, I was kind of like more into punk rock and was like mm -hmm. not really i mean i was like i know the damned does that count um but i didn't oh. really go into that Anne rice world nope um and actually if you want to get down to brass tacks i actually thought it the title of the film was interview with a vampire and i will have you know if you try to search for it on the paramount plus app it doesn't come up if you put interview with a vampire that's passive aggressive i was like come on we're living it's close the, enough we are living in the year our lord 2022 and you can't make that metadata i could swap. go right now and type blip 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 into a search bar and it would be like were you looking for the united states constitution <laughs> like yes i was yes yeah. i was you can get from a to the yeah i was like come on paramount plus really oh well okay so i will say this so i've read that basically you know this book was written by Anne rice in the 70s and the rights to make the movie were purchased in the 70s but they actually didn't make the movie until the 90s right mm -hmm. and they hired neil jordan to direct the film because of the crying game that's you know the film that he had made prior to this and it was a big sensation and so they wanted to get that heat for this mm. film and apparently he did have a hand in, in writing the screenplay because I think that he wanted to, to you know, put his little mark on it, but he actually didn't get credit for it at all. Like Anne Rice got sole screenwriting credit, but apparently mm -hmm. Neil Jordan was very involved in the screenplay. But so there's a couple of things that right before it was filmed that were going on, namely that Anne Rice was dead set against tom cruise playing oh Lestat. yeah oh yeah i i remember that yes and every goth that i knew was dead set against tom cruise playing Lestat. oh yeah okay. well, consider where tom cruise was in the moment tom cruise was like top gunning far and away in yes cocktailing like yeah. it's like imagine like the biggest jock in your high school like playing the most like notorious uh dandyish sexiest vampire you can mm. imagine it just it, it was like didn't didn't make any fucking sense but eventually when she actually saw the film she was like actually he was pretty good <laughs> and then went on this like big campaign to like apologize to him like she fucking like went all out to be like I'm sorry I fucking gave you all that shade. Here's a two-page spread in Variety or whatever, me apologizing to you. Here is a sheet cake from the local grocery store, like whatever. Like she was like really like, I made a mistake. I should have believed that you would do a good job and I'm sorry, which, you know. I don't know if she anybody needs to apologize to Tom Cruise that much about anything, but at least she kind of like yeah. was the bigger person, right? I appreciate that. So part of like what I think, okay, you have to understand. I 
only saw this movie a year ago. Okay. And, you know, as we talk about in this podcast, sometimes you have to really divorce your sort of modern ideas about movies that happened from like 20, 30 years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I know that that simple fact is, is what is going to inform my thoughts about this film. And I apologize because honestly, this is one of the gayest movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and it, it is queer canon. It is queer canon. It is. How come I never saw this movie in 1994? If I had <laughs> known it was going to be this, I would have seen it in 94. But I didn't. I, I didn't know that at all. None of us did until we saw it. And then we were like, wait, what? Yeah. And like, the more that I read about it, the more I started to understand that, oh, it was supposed to have been this gay, which I think is fucking great. And you yeah. think about 1994, like, I mean, I'm going to get to this point in a second, but like in the year that the film was being produced, Anne Rice actually thought that her story was too gay for Hollywood. Like she was like, there's no way this movie's going to get made. I can't make a movie about like a vampire couple who adopt a daughter, <laughs> you know, like there's just no way. And at a certain point, Anne Rice actually temporarily rewrote the character that, that was played by Brad Pitt to be a woman. Oh, because she actually didn't think the movie would get made if it was a man. And Weirdly enough, Cher was at one point up for that role of like, what? yeah, and even had written a song for the movie at one point. But then I think at the last minute, Anne Rice changed it back to that character being a man and it went to Brad Pitt. Wouldn't it be great if the song Cher wrote was Believe and yeah. she just released it 20 years later? Well, actually, I think that she did release it later. Um, what? But it just was from this like weird moment where she almost was in interview with the vampire. <laughs> Whoa. And then another interesting fact that I read was that, so there, there's a, the, as the role of the reporter in the film, um, it was initially supposed to be River Phoenix, but mm -hmm. he died before filming. And so they got Christian Slater. Yeah, boy. Mm-hmm to play the role instead and because he's your boy he ended up basically donating his entire salary to river phoenix's favorite charities so oh yeah that's a stand-up move i didn't know that that's sweet yeah i figured you would enjoy that but oh i here is my my really big question and and i i have no idea what I actually think, but like, so this movie has so much gay subtext, it's kind of hard to comprehend, <laughs> okay? And my first instinct was, after I saw it, was how the hell did they get like fucking cishet Tom Cruise and cishet Brad Pitt to be in this movie? And part of me wonders, were they just like too dumb to know that they were in this <laughs> queer masterpiece? Which I think is almost kind of hilarious, right? And I, I think it's the exact opposite. I think they were very smart about how subversive they were being with these roles. And they wrapped it all up. They took those ruffled cuffs, but they wrapped it all up in a bow of, we get to beat each other's asses. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't know Tom Cruise. I don't know Brad Pitt. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe they were totally like, yep, yeah, this is great. I This is the role of I was born to play. I want to play like a Tennessee Williams adjacent vampire um, who basically adopts a porcelain doll with another male vampire. Um, well, also, I, I'm considering, too, that the time that it was made was it felt it feels like more to me of a time when the biggest actors wanted the biggest roles, whether they were right for them or not, or whether it was like, you know, a personal passion of theirs yeah they're like if this is going to be the biggest movie i want to be in it because i'm the biggest star yeah and i i think it's just because <laughs> I, I i just i it's like almost like i want tom cruise to have been tricked into playing this character because of top gun and like all these like extremely like hetero dudes like these like sh you know he was playing like really like masculine like bro guys for so long that totally. i'm like there's no way he would have pivoted there's no way he would have done that and maybe i'm wrong because that would mean that would make me have to like him yeah in a certain way and i'm like do i really want to do that <laughs> but whatever like it's just in my mind i kind of think it's funnier if they were tricked into playing it like oh here's your you know here's a script and they're like don't know what's going on until they watch <laughs> The movie at the premiere and they're like oh we were in a relationship like they film it out of order <laughs> <laughs> so you know i don't know again that's just my own because i literally saw it a year ago and i don't yeah. have you know whatever the past like 20 years to have like formed more of a of an informed opinion about it right right so i will get into the beats of the movie here they are Christian Slater at the beginning of the film, he's this kind of reporter guy and he's interviewing Brad Pitt in like modern day. Okay. In a hotel room, Brad Pitt just says he's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> and like Christian Slater was like, yeah, right. And then it goes into like Brad Pitt's like, well, sit down for a tale. Here we go. I, I lived in the 1700s and, you know, Brad Pitt his character is named Louis or Louis. I'm going to probably call him Louis, right? Because that's what, yeah. that's what Kirsten Dunst says. So I'll, yeah. I'll say that. So Louis is a plantation owner in New Orleans. And he is depressed because his wife and his newborn baby just died. And he is like, I wish I was in the ground with them. I am going to go out <laughs> and pick fights and hope somebody will just fucking kill me literally oh there's so many easier ways to do it louis come on y yes he's just like let me get into a bar fight and hopefully somebody will stab me but instead of that happening he meets a vampire named lestat and lestat is obviously played by tom cruise and he is fucking hilarious in this movie absolutely i have to admit it i have he is Everything about him, the way he walks, the way he talks, his hair. Lestat is out here like Shecky Green. Like, I, he is two inches away from actually shucking and driving. Yes, and I'm like, I can't tell 
if he knows what he's doing. Like in my mind, I'm like, does he know he's doing this? Or is this just, does he think he's being this like great actor of the theater? Or is he, does he aware of what he's doing? I mean, it's very unclear to me, but again, I just saw this movie last year. (laughs) So here's the thing. Brad Pitt's like, fuck, I'm down on my luck. I might as well just fucking hang out with this vampire. Let him turn me into a vampire. And that's exactly what happens. And then Uh, they just move in together. (laughs) One of my absolute favorite lines is when he turns him and turning him is it's it's intense. Like it doesn't happen immediately the way it does in a lot of vampire films, but they also don't fuck it up the way they do in Lost Boys. If you want to know what I mean, go listen to that episode. Yes. He basically is like, all right, your body's going to die and your soul is going to die. And then he says one of my favorite lines in the film. He picks Brad Pitt's head up and he goes, now look with your vampire eyes. <laughs> and his vampire eyes are basically seeing statues blink. Like he is fucking tripping. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that has happened. Brad has turned into a vampire with his vampire eyes. I'm going to say it again. They move in together. <laughs> okay. And we just spoke about Liberace. They basically live in this like Liberace-esque, beautiful, gorgeous house in New Orleans, okay? Oh, red velvet as far as the eye can see. Brad, who is a new vampire, is like trying to figure out this bloodlust thing. He's trying to keep it in check. He doesn't want to eat people, basically. And (laughs) Tom Cruise, there's a scene that cracks me up every time. They're at their dinner table. They're just grand dining room table. Tom Cruise picks up a rat, cracks open a rat for him, pours the rat blood into like a goblet. I mean, it's very like, this rat's for you, bud. Like, oh, God. I'm like, yo, they cracked open a rat and put it and, and put and the like, blood in a, in a cup and drank oh, and, it. And, and, and like shook it off so he can get that last drop in there. Yeah. So he's made, so, so Lestat's doing the thing where he's like, listen, you can say all you want, that you're just going to survive on like rats and things, but eventually you're going to want human blood. Yeah. Like, come on. It's just a matter of time. And that's exactly what happens until Tandaway Newton comes along. Okay. And let me tell you, this is weird for me. I forgot my friend was in this movie. <laughs> yes. So I am. Tandaway is a very good friend of mine. She's a dear friend. And she's made so many movies that occasionally I'll be watching something and I'm like, oh, yeah, there, there she is. Let me tell you right now, you came off on one of the bonus episodes recently saying like, oh, I don't have friends that are famous. and or, <laughs> I was like, oh, you only know her who is like truly been in some of the best movies ever to me. And I was like, really? You know her? Only oh one. Oh, my God. Incredible. And I, I think it's because it's because of moments like this where I'm like, oh, I forget what her job is sometimes. <laughs> you forget that she had to have her blood sucked by Brad Pitt in 1994. And I think they were dating at that point. <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm like, I'm, yo. I need to be more curious. I've never asked her anything about it. I, I, I need to be way more curious with my friends. But I'm like, that was so long ago. She doesn't care. I absolutely love that you have her as a friend and you don't know anything about her career at all <laughs> but i know about her life i know about friend stuff i know about That's deep right. stuff but like, I, like I, don't, I don't know what you did at work today 
Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But I also have a boring office job, and she gets to make out with Brad Pitt on camera. So that's the difference. So here is maybe one of my favorite things that happens right after this. So Tandaway is a goner, and and Louis eats the human blood. And he is so fucking distraught <laughs> that he trashes and burns their house down. Let, let me just tell you, burning down the house is this motherfucker's calling card. <laughs> he has never met a house that he will not burn to cinders. Lestat comes in after this has happened and he's literally, literally like, great. Just great. Look what you did to our fucking house. (laughs) Now we have to live in a gross cemetery. And it is so fucking funny to me that that is Lestat's response to like, oh, just great. Look what you did. You burned our house down. (laughs) It's fantastic. God, this movie. He's like, you did all this because you just, this is your response to killing someone for the first time. Like, really, Louie? This movie is so genius. Like, on so many levels, it is so fucking funny that I can't stand it. And this was one of the moments where I just was like, I can't believe it took me 20 years to watch this movie. So, Oh, completely. Lestat, after this happens, Lestat is just keeps pressing on Louis. Like, let's eat people. Come on. Like, <laughs> already it's great. Our house. You know what's great? You got so pumped that you burned our house down. We got to keep going. <laughs> Louis is like, no, dude, I can't fucking eat people. And by the way, being a vampire, gotta be honest, kind of sucks. Like, it kind of sucks. I don't want to live forever. I feel weird about eating people. I don't like rats either. So I don't know. What did I do? Why did I? Why was I so depressed that I started hanging out with you? I don't get it. Major regrets. Major immediate regrets. <laughs> so... You can imagine Louis sort of like questioning the relationship. So one night, Louis walking around town, finds this little girl shivering and crying in the corner. Her mother has just died of the fucking plague. Because remember, we're in these we're in these old times. In both <laughs> these movies, we're in these old times. Okay. So he's like, well. This little girl's down on her luck. I guess I'll just uh, crack her open, have a drink. (laughs) His his depression, he needs to not leave the house when he's this depressed because he makes really bad decisions. Horrible choices. Okay. So, guess what? Lestat shows up and is like, well, you already did like half the job. So, I guess we're going to have to Turn her into a baby vampire so that you will stay with me. He had a kid to save the relationship. Tell me they were not in a relationship. And let me just tell you, this I think was maybe all our introduction to Kirsten Dunst, the wonderful yes. actress Kirsten Dunst. And my God, like, killed it. Nailed it like you wouldn't fucking believe. Like, Basically, she 
immediately turns into this like when she turns into the vampire she does she just grows like porcelain doll baby hair with like these curly ringlets and shit and this part of the movie is fucking unreal she basically walks around now like the bad seed she's like this <laughs> fucking petulant baby vampire child killing everybody it's like no can't figure it out and Lestat is literally nagging her like naughty naughty Claudia no naughty girl why do you keep killing people come on didn't not we talk about this <laughs> not in the house is my favorite it is wild and I'm just like I love how funny this movie is it, it just this entire sequence where she becomes their daughter effectively is truly like a sitcom. I read in the Washington Post review of the movie, they called it Two Men and an Undead Baby. <laughs> <laughs> and it is truly that. It is like sitcom antics Holy in crushed shit. velvet. It is so fucking good beautiful and she is fucking fantastic because she's petulant and stompy and weird but you she's riveting like most most of the time when kids act like that on on screen even if they're acting it just gets under my skin but she is absolutely hilarious she has the gravitas of like a 70 year old actress yeah she's not being too much of a child actor in that way. You're absolutely right. And so what ends up happening, I mean, like so much time passes because they're vampires and it's like, nobody knows what year it is. Nobody knows what decade it is. Right. So at some point she looks the same, obviously, but she's like actually 39 or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess maybe when vampires turn 39, they start becoming a little bit more rebellious and they start wanting to know why, they made her a vampire. Why her two dads made her a vampire. And so she starts like figuring all this shit out and she starts seeing Lestat as the problem. And she talks to Louis and it's like, listen, let's leave Lestat. He's clearly, you know, we're just his victims essentially. And Louis like, good luck with that. So basically what she does is she brings in these like two little kid twins. Maybe that is a, connection point between our two movies are like creepy <laughs> twins another theme another theme yeah so she's like look Lestat, look at these two beautiful children what won't their blood be delicious turns out she fucking poisoned the kids with laudanum okay and then lestat cracks them open and then gets poisoned he's like you made me drink dead blood because <laughs> there are rules to this shit yeah, there are definitely rules to this shit. So anyway, she poisons him and then his throat gets slit. And then they, Louis and Claudia put him in the fucking swamp. And then there's a part where zombie Lestat comes back briefly playing the fucking piano. But then <laughs> eventually goes away. Well, so, you know what happens? You know what happens. I Louis lights the fucking house on fire. Yeah, he is burning down the house again. Again. Because he's like, we got to kill Lestat. I don't know how many times we got to do it, but let's burn the house down. It seemed to work last time. So that's happened. Then they decide to go to Europe because they're just like, well, let's go find some other vampires to hang out with or whatever. So then it cuts to them in Europe. They meet a vampire named Armand, who is played by 
Antonio Banderas. That that weave should have gotten an Oscar. I mean, again, actually, I got to say this. Out of all three of these guys, these extremely famous male actors, Antonio seemed to me to to be the only one that got it. Like, where where I was like, he knows he's in a gay vampire movie. Okay. (laughs) And we love him for that. The other two, a little TBD, I don't know. But I'm just saying, like, he seems like the legit, he like legit knows what he's doing. Oh, he Um, was into it. And, and, and Armand is like, he's kind of the host of this like grand guignol type show where they they are basically doing vampire things in front of audiences and they're pretending that they're, you know, putting on a, a play or a pageant, but they're actually eating dinner, essentially, <laughs> in front of these people. At, cer- at a certain point in this film, Armand tries to get Louis to move in with him. And so, of course, you're like, wow, this has taken a turn. And then I won't spoil the rest of the film, but basically Armand's gang of vampires attempts to punish Louis and Claudia for for killing Lestat. Yeah, they're like, we again, we got rules. You can't just kill vampires if you are a vampire. Right. And like I said, all hell breaks loose from this point. It ha- and I won't give away the ending, but the best ending. Like, just the uh. best, funniest ending. They would never, in a weird way, I think they would never end a movie like that. Like, like th- in modern day, they- they'd be like, no, that wouldn't work. <laughs> That's a little over the top, isn't it? They're like, nah, people wouldn't go for that. Oh, I my mean, God, I love the ending of this movie. Me, too. And I mean, listen, I... To me, this movie is like a gay Southern Gothic masterpiece. I'm absolutely obsessed, like obsessed with, I mean, it's just, to me, I'm just, I almost like want to punch myself in the face for having resisted watching it because <laughs> I'm just like presented it in the right way. If somebody presented it in the right way, you would have watched it. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. If somebody had just pulled me aside and said, this movie is this, actually. It's not just sort of like a bunch of goth kids being mad about Tom Cruise. It's like this whole other level. Like, and I just feel like in this era, to, like in 94, to have actors like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt appear in movies with like gay subtext, that's huge. I mean, yes. you know? It's still huge. And I I just, I also just love the notion of a lazy vampire. Like, Louis has been alive for hundreds of years. He hasn't learned how to fly. He doesn't know, he barely knows how to do that, like, I'm going to walk real fast up on you thing. Like, he just is uninterested in being a vampire. His depression followed him into vampireness, and I just love it. I love a depressed, lazy vampire. Yeah, and I, I mean, listen... Uh, Brad Pitt is not great in this movie. I got to say he, but who cares? Like literally who cares? Like he did his job. He looks great. Looks great. I had read all these like kind of, I don't know, stories about the production, about how apparently Brad Pitt like hated filming this movie (gasps) and he was actually depressed because I guess it was like raining all the time when they filmed it. And it just was like, he was in a bad place. So maybe that like informed his role a little bit, but like, you know, it almost is like, well, you, when you have Tom Cruise as Lestat and you have Kirsten Dunst as Claudia, Ugh. the baby vampire, you got to just be bad. Like, you just got to be bad in this movie, and that's fine. Take one for the team. Absolutely. And 
Kirsten Dunst, like the introduction of a lifetime. Yeah. Of a lifetime. The photos that you've sent of the premiere, <laughs> out of control. A 1994 premiere was a whole different animal. The I outfits swear. were wild. Oh my God. I mean, just go on a Google search or go to like the Getty Images website and just look up the pictures from the premiere of Interview with the Vampire. It's like Tom Cruise is never going to look that awesome ever again. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Period. Uh, yeah, I just, I love this movie so much. Gotta be honest, don't know if I'd really read the books because I just yeah. love the thing. I love what this movie is. And and I don't know if I want to spoil that by reading the books. I know that sounds weird, but I just I just love this movie so much. And yeah. it's such a recent watch for me that I just, I'm obsessed. And um, I love that you watched it. Yeah. I love that you just watched it and then watched it again. And it's now queer canon. And I absolutely <laughs> can't get over it. And I also feel like maybe one day I'll read the books, but I kind of just don't have the desire to because I don't, I don't, I need to be in a certain mood to want to get into a whole world. Like yeah. I need, it's not just one book. Like you got to read the next one. You got to find out what happens. And sometimes I'm in the mood. A lot of the time I'm not. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, maybe this is too complex to answer at the end of our episode, but you wrote a book about your life. Mm-hmm. If they had made it, if they make a movie about your book, would, would you be disappointed if it was if people didn't read your book and just had watched the movie no and i think that that is very interesting because i i see them as two separate things like if you read the book the book is its own thing entirely and a movie or a tv show that's adapted i feel like let it live its own life yeah let it live its own life like right now um it's part of my job too so I'm, i'm a showrunner for New York Times best-selling book called The Other Black Girl that is being turned into a TV show for Hulu. And we have these discussions in the room all the time. And I'm like, you know, the, the Zakia Delilah Harris, who wrote the book, is in the room. And it's just, we have, we had many conversations about, like, we can just change it. We can just let it breathe. It can be its own different thing. Yeah. I like that because it does make... I, I That makes sense to me because I think that's kind of like what the spirit of this episode is about. It's basically being like these are kind of almost two different texts. Like there's the film, there's the book Mm -hmm. and like people, I know people that get really upset, obviously like for this, for my movie where people get upset that the movie is nothing like the book or nothing like what they thought the book was about. But if you can divorce your feelings, sometimes it, it is a good reward. I think like your movie is a, you know, huge testament to that. Absolutely. Double the fun, man. Yeah. I think it's it's healthy to divorce the two because, you know, a book is something you can go back to again and again. It's not going to change. It's, it's wonderful. But then you can see that book interpreted in several different ways across the decades. And they're going to be different every time. Yeah. And I think it's it's okay. I like letting them breathe and live their own lives. Yeah, me too. God damn, this was such a fun episode. Thank you so, so much fun. for picking your film. Thank you for picking your film. I haven't seen it in ages. I was rocked. To my yeah. core. Man, probably, yeah. I haven't seen a double feature this fun in so long. So, well. Uh, until next you, week. <laughs> Danielle, do you want to tell the folks about the movies for next week? Oh, I sure do. Because our movies next week are St. Emma's Fire and, ladies and gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. Oh, my God. 
Sam. Sam. That's going to be good. It's going to be real good. Well, listen, if you want to email us for any reason, please do so. We're at asawatchdidpod at gmail.com. And we also have a P.O. box if you want to send us handwritten letters. Don't worry. Millie checks it. I'm not involved. She will let me know if there's (laughs) anything cool in there. But, you know, I don't trust people enough to open a P.O. box. Uh, (laughs) And you can also follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And on Instagram, you'll see a link tree that has links to a bunch of stuff related to our show, including the P.O. box. (laughs) Yes. And also, like... We have a Letterboxd account. I think that's like a good resource if you want to find out about all the movies we've ever talked about. Um, If you go to the diary tab, it'll break it down by month. And the date that appears is the date of the episode. So it's kind of just like a rolling list of titles that you can throw on a watch list or whatever. But um, yeah, we're on there. So check us out. Beautiful. Well, Danielle, as always... Such a fucking pleasure to do this podcast with you. I love it. I would not change a thing. I'm thrilled. I would not (laughs) pepper arsenic on your cookies. (laughs) I would not burn your house down. Every house. Every house they left, he burned. (laughs) Well, you gotta get a new racket. You're gonna get caught. Especially because you won't do that fast walking thing or fly. (laughs) Burn a house down, get on a boat. I'm Louie. The laziest vampire. Crack open a rat. Here's crack to open you. A, crack open a rat. Hate every minute of it. <laughs> Until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced and mixed by Casey O'Brien. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.